You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you for your welcome. We're going to look at one verse in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, and it says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I like verses like this. All pastors, church leaders love verses like this because it speaks of growth. The church growing, increasing in numbers. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. We draw encouragement and faith and vision and hope from verses like that because that's our prayer for our churches. You want to see growth. You want to see the church grow and fill this city and influence this whole region, this area for the Lord Jesus Christ with the gospel, changing people's lives, saving people, healing people, planting churches. That's a a worthy vision for a church, amen? And surely should be your vision. And I know it is your vision. And praise God for what God's done already, but God has greater things ahead of you. Amen? Do you believe that? And uh, verses like this where it says, the church grew in numbers. That phrase comes from time to time in the Acts of the Apostles when you read through the book. The first time it comes, for example, is in Acts chapter 6, And verse 7, where it's talking about the Jerusalem church, and it says this, So the word of the Lord spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased dramatically, rapidly, dramatically. And every time this kind of phrase comes in the book of Acts, it kind of marks the end of one phase of church life and development and the beginning of a new phase of church life and development. So in Acts 6-7, the story up to that time was the story of the Jerusalem church. And you read how it grew, filled Jerusalem, loads of people got saved, the church then began to get persecuted and the story continues. But up until then, the story almost exclusively is about the Jerusalem church. That was where God's work was focused to begin with in the church in Jerusalem. And we read how the church grew and filled the city of Jerusalem with the gospel. Um, Just as an aside, I would say we see two of the main reasons for church growth in the story of the Church of Jerusalem. You know, we don't want to get so caught up in strategy and plans and organisation and how to do this and how to do that. The New Testament never puts an emphasis on for churches on those things. It's not about the excellence of the administration. Aim at excellence. I'm an administration person. I like the detail of it. I like the planning of it. I like the working out a strategy, all those things. But that's not the emphasis that the New Testament puts on how does a church grow. And I think we see in the early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles the two kind of issues that caused church growth, and it was these. I'm not going to focus on this right now this morning, but um, it's interesting. And I think one of them, of course, you'll also, well, it was the supernatural of God. It was the miracles that God did. And that's right. That's what we need more of. Amen. We need more miracles and maybe less kind of 
organization that straightjackets the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We want a church that's free for the Holy Spirit to move and work and do whatever he wants to do. Amen? To break out in miracles, in signs, in wonders, in great healings. And this is what we need to be praying for more and more, the supernatural of God. And by the grace of God, I think, I don't know if you sense it here or if you're seeing it here, but by the grace of God, we're seeing that more and more. Hallelujah. Almost every week I hear now some kind of miracle that happens, some kind of healing. There are other situations where people have been ill and you've prayed for them. Maybe there are people here that are suffering with long-term illnesses or even terminal illnesses or disabling illnesses, and you've prayed and not seen any results. And uh, if you're in that position, I would love to pray for you this, this morning. Um, I've recently had a heart attack, um, quite an unexpected heart attack, and with no warning or anything like that, but by the grace of God, I've survived it. And uh, people's prayers on my behalf were answered, and I'm well, even, I hope, I think, I feel perhaps uh, better than before. Hallelujah. So I'm a kind of example of the grace of God in healing, but it's made me much more empathetic and sympathetic towards people that live with illness. And there doesn't seem to be an answer to prayer and all that kind of stuff. Well, God hasn't abandoned you. Amen? Last week, I heard about a, a guy I was praying for. I kind of just seemed to focus on him in a particular place. And about, um, I can't remember, some months ago anyway. And it turned out he was 16 years with his wife. Um, they had no children, no babies, no possibility to have children they were approaching the age where they couldn't have children any well there's nothing impossible with God and I heard last week praise God she'd become pregnant quite miraculously immediately after we'd prayed for them and they're just coming up to having the baby hallelujah but not all prayers get answered so wonderfully and so dramatically and uh, if you're in that position where prayers haven't been answered, you know, for you, then God hasn't forgotten you. And uh, God has a purpose even in sickness. I used to be one of these guys that, you know, if sickness comes, it's of the devil, get rid of it, you know, move on. But God can work his purposes out in us through even sickness. Amen. One of the big things is just teaching us to calm down a bit. And, uh, and take a rest, which is a big lesson to learn when you go charging around most of your life. But one of the main reasons for church growth is the supernatural. I really believe that. And we need to come back to that more and more. Amen? Yeah. And also, the other, the other reason, the other main reason that you see is that they embraced the poor. They cared for the poor. They opened their hearts as individuals, as families. They opened their homes. They opened their arms to receive the poor that were amassed around them. The early church grew mainly among the poor that lived around them because they opened their hearts 
and they loved the poor, they received the poor, they helped the poor, and uh, we don't want to get into that this morning, although I'll probably keep touching on it, because it's such an important issue, reaching out to the poor, the poor are on the heart of God, amen, the eyes of God are on the poor in our societies, in our communities, our eyes are on celebrity, You know, the eyes of the world are on the footballers, the film stars, the people in power, the politicians, God help us. The eyes of the world are on celebrity. The eyes of God are on the poor, right? And we need to refocus our attention on what is most important in the eyes of God. If we love the poor, if we're kind to the poor, we honour God. And you might say, well, who are the poor? We live in affluent society like we do at home but you know I'm sure that within your community around you there are many many poor people and anyway who are the poor I've kind of understood come up with a great definition of who are the poor this is my definition this is this is original most of most of the stuff us preachers preach we've got from someone else okay But this is mine. The poor is this. This is a definition for the poor. The poor is someone you can help. Amen? You kind of focus it right down to a personal kind of, how does this, what does this mean for me? It's not devising some great strategy to reach all the poor, all the homeless. We can do that as well. Our church in Southampton, we've grown because we've done this had projects to reach out to the poor. And we've done it. We're doing it right now. Let me just tell you one little story, which is a great story. I love this kind of story. But there's a couple in our church. He is a professor of microbiology. Clever guy. Rich guy. Him and his wife, they decided they would move to the poorest part of Southampton. And they did it. Um, You can imagine the sacrifice behind that, but they felt God called them to go there. They loved the poor. He bought an allotment, started growing vegetables, because that's what microbiologists do, I think, (laughs) among other things. And he starts growing all these vegetables and all that. Every morning he goes down there, does bacon and eggs. Everyone else around there, oh, it's bacon and eggs on the go. And they start coming and gravitating towards him. Soon he's got loads of friends because he gives them bacon butties in the morning. They start sharing their veg. So they're beginning to think, well, we can do some meat, we can gather people, start preaching to them, etc., etc. Do you know, there was an old redundant building down there in that part of Southampton, and we approached the people that owned it. We bought it for one pound. It's costing 50000 to do it up, but we bought it for one pound. Hallelujah. We're, we're doing meetings there. We started seeing people last Sunday. One of these people were baptized. Hallelujah. We've seen many people baptized from that background. When you start the worship, you open the songbook, and they say, right, we're going to sing Amazing Grace this morning. It starts with the letter A. Amazing. A for a Yeah because they can't read. Don't know how that helps them, by the way, but anyway, at least they get it on the right page to to start off with. And when I survey the wondrous W, okay, it's at the back of the book, you know. 
all this kind of stuff, it's fantastic. We love it down there. My wife and I go down there every week and uh, they're all growing vegetables down there. It's better than going to Sainsbury's. You know, they're all giving to each other now. They're giving to one another. A community is developing. They're meeting the needs of the poor. They're embracing the poor. They're not just doing a project for the poor. People don't want projects. They don't want money chucked at them. They want to be loved. They want to be included. They want to be embraced. They want to find family. And what better place than the church to find family? Is not this what the church is there for? And that's why the early church grew, because they embraced the poor. The poor flooded into the church because they found a place where they weren't threatened. They could feel secure. They could feel loved. They were embraced as brothers and sisters co-equally not as kind of people that they were being ministered down to. We need to reach out to the poor. That's where we're going to see revival happening. That's where we're going to see church growth happening when we embrace the poor of the earth, where we love the poor of the earth, where our hearts are broken to see them touched by the love of God just as God has loved and touched us. Amen? Amen. I tell you, we sometimes need to get a whole new view of evangelism, of why the church is here, get the emphases right, the things that are on God's heart, get them into our hearts more than all the kind of outward details of the building and church life. You understand? You're going to buy a new building, you'll buy it, you've bought a new building, you're going to do it up just as we have done. But you want to fill it with, you want to open the churches and the building. Excellence isn't about you know, the decor, it's about the heart attitude that you do things with. Amen. God wants to touch our hearts. He wants to reach our hearts. He wants to break our hearts. And then he's got some people that he can use. You know, when we built our church, our second, we built two buildings. Our second uh, building has a large auditorium. It's a large building. And we were looking at five and a half million pounds. I hope yours isn't like that. It's rather daunting, of course. But, you know, the big problem to me was not can we afford it, because, do you know what? Whatever God calls us to do, we can afford it. Amen? Let me say that again, just to encourage you. Whatever God calls us to do, whatever God puts us in, puts in our hands to do, for him, he will provide the resources, right? If you've got a vision from God, then the provision will follow. Provision follows vision. If you just do it because you're all, if you've got vision in your heart, the provision will come. I knew that. I've seen that all the years of my Christian life, right from the beginning. Hallelujah. God provides our needs miraculously, if necessary. But the big thing that troubled me was how could we spend five and a half million quid on a building and there's all these poor people around? I had a real conscience about that. I was thinking, can we legitimately spend all this money on a building when we could be helping people on the streets, helping people around the world? And you know what God put in my heart to do? And God spoke to me, and I was troubled by this, and I was crying out to God about this for a long time, asking God, give me peace in my heart, show me how we can handle all this. And God said to me, everything that you put towards this building, all the money, however much it costs, you're going to put towards giving to the poor as well. 
So don't just think in terms of paying the bills locally. Don't limit God. Don't just think of God as, oh, my need. Oh, we've got to do this. You know, I tell you what, a real key to it all is look to the needs of others. Right? When you look to the needs of others, when you look out there not so much to your own needs, you find your own needs kind of get sorted out by the grace of God. That's how God works it. You know, don't be praying about your own needs all the time. Don't be crying out to God for, oh, I need a new car or a new... You can do that. I've prayed to God for a new car. I've been given three new cars. Hallelujah. It works. I want you all to be blessed and prospered, believe me. In fact, that's not true. My wife prayed for one car. She said to me, it's about time we had two cars. And I said, no, we'll never be able to afford that. She said, right, I'm going to pray for a car. And within two weeks, she's given a new car. And she says, right, I don't need you anymore, kind of thing. I'll pray for <laughs> do it myself. Thank God for a wife like that who provokes you to faith and godliness and hallelujah, who's not dependent, who's not whining all the time. Hallelujah. In fact, she tells me, stop it, stop whining. If you've ever done that, you know, you go home after a day of pastoring the church. You say, cool, I talked to this person today and all they did was moan all the time and that person just had a problem and this was their problem, that was a problem. I'd go home and say that to my wife and she'd say, if you're bigger than that, what are you moaning about to me for? Just get over it. That's your job. That's what God's called you to do. It's tough being married to a woman like that, but... Thank God for them. Hallelujah. Love the poor. Do you know what? Last year, we exceeded what we gave to the poor we put to the, to the church building. Hallelujah. We run a, a charity called Cry, Care and Relief for the Young, which we set up to minister to the needs of poor kids. And we reached our 25th anniversary and we checked back on all the things that we'd done. And we worked out that we'd given over five and a half million quid to the poor. Directly. Not just the raising of the money. That was a lot, lot more than that. And so I thought, I didn't tell anyone what God had put in my heart. And they said, oh, we've, we've given five and a half million to the poor. I thought, hallelujah. God's been faithful to his word. If you really have it in your heart, God is faithful to his word. Do you know what? I'll let you into a little secret, but I even got an MBE for my work with Cry. So I'm now Martin Dunsford MBE. Did you know that? Okay. Well, you could at least cheer or something. <laughs> so I'm going to Buckingham Palace with my family in December to receive my award. Hallelujah. If you read through in the early part of Acts... It mixes these two things up. In Acts 4, for example, it says, All the believers were of one heart and mind. That's, a, that's an amazing church, isn't it? <laughs> We're all of one heart and mind. <laughs> God blesses people who are of one heart and one mind when they pray with one voice. Remarkably, God will do miracles for you if you're of one heart and one mind, if you're all together if you believe the same thing, if you have the same vision. Vision is what creates unity. You won't ever create doctrinal unity, at least that we haven't done it in our church. Can't believe what half of the other leaders believe. 
but we have the same vision. Our unity was not on the basis of an absolutely the same theology. Our unity was having a vision from God. This is what God has called us together to do. We agree it. We're going to do it together. This is what creates unity, a vision. Have a vision from God and people will join you in that vision to make it work. Don't do it on your own. It won't work. It says they were all of one heart and one mind. No one claimed any of their possessions as their own, but they shared everything that they have. This is Acts 4.32. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Can you see how the supernatural and care for the poor kind of gel together? It's, these are the two big characteristics of the early church. The apostles did great signs and wonders, and there were no needy persons among them. They cared for each other. They looked after each other. Hallelujah. And these things are not like, they're in the same list of characteristics. And you find that all throughout the early part of the book of Acts about the church in Jerusalem. These are the two things that go together that create church growth more than anything else. I believe the church of our day is going to return to its roots and be the same as it was then. Hallelujah. Amen. Love the poor. And when you kind of get that idea, you see the whole New Testament underlines this point. All of the teaching of Jesus underlines this point so much, and it's so important for us. Anyway, and then it says in Acts chapter 6, they've just sorted out the problem with the poor widows. There are all these poor widows in Jerusalem. That was one of the biggest kind of grouping of people who were poor and needy in the church in Jerusalem. And they spent a lot of time considering this, praying about it, thinking through, coming to a place where they could sort the problem out. Right? They didn't, they didn't just say, oh, it doesn't matter. These widows were an important part of the life of the church. These were beloved of God, older brothers and sisters who they had to care for and ensure were cared for properly and appropriately and equitably. So there's a bit of an argument between some of them. And then it says, as soon as they've sorted out the problem, so the word of the Lord spread and the number of disciples, you care for the poor, get that in focus, get that right, get that center stage, and then the word of God will dramatically grow and increase. Hallelujah. Wonderful, isn't it? So then... That kind of marked the end of the first phase, as it were, in the Acts of the Apostles. Then a new phase opened up in the book of Acts. And the story goes beyond the uh, Church of Jerusalem. And another phase kind of gets introduced to us where the gospel begins to spread out, the persecution and the gospel's preached by people like Philip in Samaria. The gospel goes to Judea, Samaria, Galilee, further north. And uh, churches are being planted, but mainly among the, the Jews and the Samaritans as well. Gradually, the story is growing. And then this verse comes, Acts 9.31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria 
enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So this then kind of marks the end of that phase of the story. And then it kind of introduces a new phase, the next thing that God's going to be working at. And why I've kind of chosen this verse is because I believe that you're in a kind of change of phase. You know, you can tell everyone next week that I got it wrong, if you like, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I believe you're coming into a, a new phase of the life of the church here, which is going to be like this great increase. The, the new building will provide you opportunities to spread the gospel, to increase the ministry of the church, to grow the church in all kinds of ways. I believe with all my heart you're going to come into a new phase of church growth, of impact in the city, of gospel extension, even to reach out into this whole area around about more effectively and even to the ends of the earth. Amen? You're coming into a new phase. This is a time, very exciting time, and it's a time of great challenge, no doubt, as you consider all the implications to church life of getting the building ready, all the financial implications that that will involve, all the sacrifice that it will call for, and it will call for sacrifice. Hallelujah. And then you grow to love sacrifice, because... What better, greater way could you spend your life than glorifying God and seeking first the kingdom, praying for God to move, giving all that you have and all that you are into what God wants to do here. Amen. What greater privilege, what greater honor can you have that God chooses you, God is with you, to do something great of eternal worth and significance by serving him and building the kingdom of God here. Amen? Amen. So get ready for it. Change involves inevitably a bit of disturbance, a bit of troubling, as it were, all the convenience of how you used to live your life, how you used to do church, all changes again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah but it's for the glory of God and the kingdom of God. Amen. You're at such an exciting place. And I love this verse because I so identify with it. It says, The church throughout Judea, they enjoyed a time of peace. The background of the story here is Paul, Saul the persecutor had become Paul, the man of God, to become the apostle of God. And uh, he'd come back to Jerusalem and everyone was... Um, kind of stirred up by him because he came, he went he left Jerusalem, kind of persecuting Christians. He came back to Jerusalem and he's preaching the gospel. <laughs> Fantastic, isn't it? Don't you love the work of God? How he changes people. I can just imagine God looking down on Saul the persecutor as he's threatening and chucking people in prison and killing them and slicing them up and all that kind of stuff. And God thinking, wow, I like this guy. I just want him on my side. And so God comes and knocks him down to the ground, 
beat him up a little bit. Hallelujah. You know, he needed to get beaten up to get all that hatred and aggression and, you know, all that pride, all that arrogance out of him. You know, we say, oh, God's so gentle and nice, isn't he? He needs to beat us up from time to time. Oh, I can see that one went down very well, <laughs> didn't it? He wants to get hold of our lives, deal with us, and deal with some of this stuff that we let carry on in our lives. He wants to remould us and change us and make us into people that can be useful in his kingdom. Amen? We all need beating up a little bit by the grace of God. Hallelujah. Anyway, he comes back preaching the gospel, stirs up persecution. And the church is getting persecuted. And I can just imagine the apostles, Peter and John and them saying, Paul, calm down a bit. You know, let's just creating too much trouble no i'm preaching the gospel can't stop in the end they were so fed up they got hold of him and sent him away to tarsus just go and then it says then the church had a time of peace sometimes we're, we're kind of overzealous and god just needs to kind of get us out of the way for a bit so he can start moving then it says the church enjoyed a time of growth encouraged by the holy spirit Living in the fear of the Lord. I mean, that, that's a, a beautiful church, isn't it? Encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Everyone feeling encouraged and built up and strengthened. And Wow, God is with us. Hallelujah. And, and somehow the growth continued and, and multiplied much more than Paul preaching the gospel. Even Paul wasn't needed for some of this stuff. What we do need is the Holy Spirit. We need times of peace. We need to understand that God makes progress through peace. And some, that's a big lesson for us to learn individually. We need to learn to sit in the presence of God and be at peace. We're so, in our day and age, and our whole society pushes us in this direction. We've got to do something. We've got to... You know, we're, we're always on the go. We're always looking at our phones. We're always kind of, you know, got to stay in the loop. We've got to be informed. We've got to rush around doing something, all, all that kind of stuff. I tell you, we've got to learn to be able to sit and be still in the presence of God. Because this is how God moves his work forward. Because this is when we give God the opportunity to speak into our hearts and lives, to deal with us as his children, for God to put new initiatives and new ideas and speak to us with new direction and new faith. This is where it comes from God. And out of times of peace, that's when you see the, another great advance for the kingdom of God. And in all your busyness, I'm not encouraging laziness or stopping to do the don't stop doing the work of God I'm not encouraging that of course but sometimes we need to learn in our hearts and in our lives and even in the life of the church to be at peace it's a beautiful wonderful thing it will save you it will save your soul to learn to live in peace when everything's Around you is there's voices, there's 
influences, there's all kinds of opinions, there's all kinds of people doing it better than you and the temptation to compete, all that kind of stuff. We just have to learn to live in peace and just do what God tells us to do. Walk with him and don't focus on what's going on out there so much, but focus on what God is doing here within your soul. And that's so important. You then read about Peter who goes on and sees a great move of, of salvation in, in that area of Judea. He raises um, Dorcas from the dead. That's amazing, isn't it? And the whole of Lydda turns to the Lord. <laughs> wow, amazing. There again, you've got the supernatural and you've got the poor. Why was Dorcas raised from the dead? She cared for the poor. It kind of seems as though when people care for the poor, right, it attracts the attention of God. It, it even initiates the supernatural of God. Hallelujah. These things go together so much. You then read about Cornelius. His arms giving had gone up as a remembrance before God. So God's looking around. Like, How can we break through among the Gentiles? Who can we choose? Who can, where are we going to start? Ah, here's a guy that loves the poor. He's so in tune with the heart of God. God is just kind of, whoa, here's somebody who might not be a believer, but he loves the poor. He's a bit like me. He's a bit like God. Hallelujah. God loves God. I tell you, this is such an important thing. And then he sends him an angel. Right, call for Peter. Peter comes. I mean, what an incredible story. It's just full of the supernatural, isn't it? And a breakthrough for the gospel, probably across the biggest kind of cultural, religious, racial kind of barrier of the day from Jew to Gentile. That barrier is kind of jumped miraculously because of Peter sitting on a roof. He's raised the dead. He's seen a whole region come to Christ. He thinks, all right, I need a rest. And he goes to Joppa and goes to the house of Simon, the tanner. It must have been a stinking hole where he stayed. Have you ever been around a leather worker in the Middle East at 40 degrees centigrade? It stinks, I can tell you. You go there today, there's about 20 house of Simons. So they want to catch all the tourists, of course. And he's sitting on the roof. What's next, Lord? Then he has this vision from God. God speaks again. Tell you, this is what we need, to hear the voice of God. And he shows him that vision of the unclean animals coming down in a sheet. <laughs> Hallelujah. And do you know what? Peter's sitting up there on the roof, and he's looking down at the port of Joppa. It's just under, if you go there, it's... Joppa's on a hill. And you look down, it overlooks the port. And you know what happened at the port of Joppa, don't you, years, thousand years before? Jonah, the prophet, God told him to go to Nineveh, to the Gentiles, and he knew that they were about to attack Israel and kill Israel and blah, blah, blah. So he said, no, I'm not going to go there. He said no to God. Fancy that. Not like we've never done that, of course. <laughs> and he ran off in the other direction. He goes down to Joppa. He jumps on a boat. 
And Peter's looking at this, and you know the story of Jonah. He goes and gets swallowed by a whale or whatever. And Peter's thinking, Jonah was a stupid, foolish prophet. He should have done what God told him to do. And go to the Gentiles. And he's, God's preparing him, right? Got him in the right place. Stupid Jonah, why didn't you go? And then God shows him a vision of all these unclean animals. Kill and eat, Peter. No, Lord. <laughs> he does exactly what Jonah did. He said no to God. And God said, don't call anything unclean that I've created. I tell you, that, that was like a hammer blow to Peter's past and all his prejudices and all his attitudes of heart. I don't think Peter just had a vision one day and he went off to go and preach to Cornelius. God had to deal with him. He pondered over, he's thinking about it. While he's thinking about this, it says, he's kind of deeply challenged in his heart, is he going to do what God's called him to do? Is he going to embrace the unclean as he saw the Gentiles? Or is he going to be a Jonah? Thank God Jonah had a second chance, Amen. And he went, and Nineveh repented. Hallelujah. What a great story. Because Jonah was a sign. But the question for us is, are we going to go? Are we going to allow our hearts to be broken? Are we going to be allow God to disturb us, however young or however old we are? Do you know, I believe God's going to raise, raise up an army of old people to do the work of God. Amen. Amen. I've believed that since I've become old. <laughs> no one's too old to do the work of God. We buried someone last week who was 94 years old. Until the day they died, they were serving God. Hallelujah. In the kitchen, washing up, praising God. 94 years old, and then she died. God bless her went to be with the Lord. I want to end that way, don't you? God's going to use younger people, but he's going to use older people as well. Get ready, older people, for a new infusion of life and strength and power. Let God deal with you and use you as well. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's stand and pray. There's so much ahead of you guys as a church. There's so much God has for you. Don't sit there on the hill and Hold back. Let God deal with you in your hearts. Father, we open our hearts to you. Again, this morning, we cry out to you. Lord God Almighty, and we lay our lives before you. We say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me. Lord, I'm here for you. Lord, help me to break through into a new phase in my own life. Lord, I don't want to stay where I am. I want to keep moving. Lord, deal with me. Just in the quietness of your own heart, even right now, just say, God, here am I. Send me. I'm available. I'm ready. I'm willing. I'm, if you feel that, just raise your hands to God. Let's, let's be serious about God using us. Use me, Lord, again. Break me 
free of where I am into a whole new phase, whole new work, I pray in Jesus' name. Bless this church. Do amazing, marvellous and miraculous things through it. In Jesus' name, through these dear people here. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.